Amen. The children are going with my beautiful wife. Go and learn of the Lord. Thank you, Trudy. I wanted to share these, these stories. I had one more that I wanted to um, share, but, but Mary's actually not here. So I'm just going to take a moment to pray for Mary because she's not feeling well this morning. So Father, we just bring Mary to you right now, God. Just like Sylvia, Father, we stand on you in this, God. And through what you did on that cross, Jesus, for the authority that you gave us from that place, we stand and say, Father, that, that all illness must leave her body in Jesus' name. That what she's feeling right now is not of you, God, and it must leave in the name of Jesus. And I just declare right now that she's beginning to feel you, Holy Spirit, moving. That as I know she's sitting in that chair and praying and worshipping, Father, that she just feels a sweet, sweet peace with you, Jesus. And Father, I also lift up Joe, Lord, who heard her back this morning, Lord. I just the, the same, Father, I pray, God, that you be right with them in that doctor's surgery this morning. That, Father, you, you are king and you reign, Lord. And that this thing has no place. We call alignment to her back in Jesus' name. And I call Holy, uh, Holy Spirit that your peace be there amongst them in that doctor's surgery. In your name we pray. Amen. Mary and Graham have gone, but they had also a miraculous thing happen financially that I wanted them to share. Maybe I'll get her to share it next week when she's here. But I wanted us to I wanted to share these stories, A, because we should be sharing these stories with each other. And I know a lot of you guys heard Sylvia and heard her story from last week. Um, as to what happened and, and where, she, where she's been and where she's come to. But there is a lot of these stories taking place. A, a lot of us know Josh Woods, who just put up a um, powerful testimony that his brain cancer has, has been completely removed, gone. That they, they have amazed the doctors with the power of God of what's happened. That he is an incredible man of faith, but standing on the fact that Jesus has brought him into that place. The doctor said to him, whatever you're doing, keep doing. And he said, I'm just praying to, to my king because he's a healer. And the doctor said, well, keep doing that. <laughs> so the doctor prescribed him Jesus. Fantastic. <laughs> That's my kind of prescription. <laughs> but I, I wanted to share these a, again because it's important for us to be sharing these amongst ourselves and, and encouraging each other with this stuff, but also because... To me, it reveals a time that we're in, that the stuff that the, the prophets have been saying, the stuff that's been, being called for, we're starting to see manifest in this nation. The rains, and I, a friend of mine uh, took a photo from um, down near Tabulum, down where I'm from, and he took a photo of this incredibly burnt place. The, the fires ravaged that area, and it's black and just destroyed, and in the midst are these beautiful green vines starting to grow back over and take back over the trees. There's, there's a, um, just outside of the town that I grew up in, Casino, there's a, a uh, I got laughed at when I called it a farm, a tree farm, but apparently it's got a fancy name, but where they grow trees to make wood for bunnings and all sorts of places. It was a plantation. Tim, he works in the industry. A plantation. It could be a tree farm, though. You'd give me tree farm. No. Darren's ruled, no tree farm, it's a plantation. A plantation in the place was ravaged, completely leveled. 
And in that now, green has started to come out of the trees and spurt out of the trees that were burnt, that looked as if they were destroyed. And I think this is a show and a sign of what's actually starting to happen. God is moving in all kinds of ways. And I wanted to just spend some time on that this morning because I think it's important to understand how we continue to, to usher that in and be a people ready to see God move and ready for God to come. So if you, if you have a Bible with you, go to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 50. And I want to show, I want to show something, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into Acts um, but it's, it's interesting that the, the end of Luke, he expresses something and then he goes in to write Acts. And I think that it's very interesting as to, to, to what he positions this. And I'm going to spend the next few weeks in Acts just, just expressing what the church, how they operated, who they were and what they were doing. But it's very interesting in Luke 24, 50 verse 53, it says this. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While, pardon me, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The disciples had just come out of what would have been an incredibly crazy situation. They were walking with Jesus and he was expressing who he was, that, that he was the Messiah and he was the one that had come to save Israel and bring them back into fullness with God. And then he was obviously crucified and the, the Jews were at risk of being taken and being killed. And then Jesus raises again, he appears to them and he continues to speak to them. So now they know he is the Messiah. And then he walks with them out He gets and he says a few things and then he gets lifted up and taken away. So the disciples were in this whirlwind of emotion and time of he is the Messiah. Now maybe he's not the Messiah. Oh no, he rose again, so he is the Messiah. We're going to take back. We're going to overthrow Rome. Oh no, now he's telling us he's being lifted up, and then he's gone. And the phenomenal thing is that the disciples, their what now position was worship. Their what now position was gratitude, gratitude and joy that they took this situation of Jesus, the one who had just given them everything, spoken through them, their main teacher had raised them up and then he ascends and their main, their main position is, okay, well, we're going to worship you and we're going to carry that joy back into the place where the people were that killed you. And I find that so interesting because so many times I've sat with people and so many times I've heard it where Christians go, well, what now? What do I do now? What's my place now? Either they move to a nation and God's asking them to do something or they, they get called to start leading a church and they step into that. But our, our, our primary response often is, what now? But the disciples model it so beautifully, just like Bruce and Sylvia did, where they got this piece of information and they go, what now, God? What do I do? But the position we go back to always is to worship him, to come back before him in his goodness, to stand with him and say, Jesus, you are who you said you are. You are all that, you will, all that we will ever be. You are king. You reign. You are glorified. I have no idea what I'm doing or where I'm going, but I know this. You are Lord of Lord and King of Kings. 
our what now position always is to turn and worship him, to bring ourselves before him. In John, I can't remember where it is because I didn't write it down, but it says this, in the last day of the feasts, the great day, I think it's six, John six-ish. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The disciples knew that Jesus had in, in, in John and when they were there, had foretold the fact that the Holy Spirit would come, that the Holy Spirit would bring them into a place. So when Jesus leaves, when Jesus uh, is ascended up and taken into heaven, he says to them, go, go and wait. Go and wait until you are clothed in power. So their what now moment after they begun to worship was do the last thing Jesus told us to do, go and wait. Wait until the power came from on high. Wait until we were given our next instruction because the last thing we were told was to go and wait. Go with me to Acts 2. So Jesus foretells this moment. And at the end of Luke, we see the disciples heading back to Acts. Well, heading back to Jerusalem. To prepare themselves, to ready themselves to wait. To bring themselves into a place where they would wait upon him. And it's interesting, a lot of scholars don't know what was happening in the upper room. They proposed that they were sitting and praying, but they know that because earlier it says, it says that, that they, were, they had been praying. So we proposed that they were praying. And I think, I think it doesn't matter either way. What they were doing in that place, in the upper room, was they were focused on Jesus. They were focused on the fact that he had just left and they were told to wait for the power to come. But they were told to wait and they waited in him waiting in that, that place that says they were carrying that worship, they were carrying that gratitude. I don't believe for a moment they went back and they sat and said, well, what do we do now? We're on our own. Because it says they went back into Jerusalem with gratitude, with worship, with thank you, Father. Thank you for who you are, Jesus. Thank you that you were true. We don't know what you're going to do with Rome, but thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. And they sat and waited. And Acts says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews. They, sorry, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we are here, each of us, in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and resistance of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pythagoria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya beyond to the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and, and, and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled 
with new wine. I've heard many different things on this, on this verse used for all kinds of different theological stance and doc, doctrine arguments. But I think we miss the, the primary point that this is a phenomenal time that they're in, that Jesus has just ascended and they're waiting for the sign and power of God to be revealed and it's poured out of them in the most fascinating way. But I, I love the scriptures and I love how intertwined is the closing of other stories and the reopening of new parts. But the New Testament points towards absolute direction and, and complete understanding of what once was and what now is and what will come. And I think that, that it's just it's, it's fascinating. But this verse, the very beginning of it, Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all in one place. There's two things that are fascinating in this. Two things that reveal what God is actually doing in this place. But the day of Pentecost is not just saying what time of the year it was. For us, that would be early June. But it's not just highlighting the time because it doesn't really help us understand it. But what it's saying is there's two things. Luke uses a Greek word, sim- simpleru, which reflects the idea of fulfillment. He's, ex- he's expressing that the time has come that all will be fulfilled and the, the mandate will be given back to man in Christ, in everything that he was saying. He's saying that that time had been fulfilled, that now you are who we said you are. You can operate and step into all that we have for you now. It's similar to Moses. Moses was in Egypt and he was there to free the people and he actually had, a, had an attempt at it and he failed. And upon him failing... Pharaoh opted to kill him and it made Moses flee to Midian. He was there, but it was the wrong timing of God. Moses was the right person. And when he, he kills the uh, Egyptian and he tries to speak to his, his fellow Jews and it falls apart on him. It actually doesn't bring them into freedom, into fulfillment. He leaves and he goes to Midian and he spends time waiting on God. He spends time for the right moment. And God, obviously we know the story, he, has, he gets married and he has, a, he, he has a child and then God calls him and he hears the voice of God and he goes back into Egypt and he brings the people out. But it was the timing of God that was important. It was the exile that the, that the Jews had to go through while in Egypt before God could actually bring them out. See, as people, we want to do it in our own strength and own time. But God says, I have a purpose and a plan for you. But along with that purpose and plan, I have a time. And if you jump too quickly, you'll miss what I'm doing. And you'll go through pain and suffering because you're trying to do it your way. And then it'll click and you'll go, I had it wrong the whole time. We've seen this so many times. Guys, get a, vo- a word from God and not take it to him and wait on it and jump and then be in absolute pain and suffering. Question whether God even called them, if God's even real. And they stand in this place of absolute, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? And then the timing catches up with them and it clicks. And they see breakthrough. And all of a sudden things start happening. And you think, if only I listened to the perfect time that God had given me. If only I wasn't too eager to just grab the thing and actually make something happen, that I waited on you, that I took it back to God. That's why Moses says, God, I'm not going if you don't go before me. I'm not going anywhere if you don't go. Luke is talking here. It was the day of Pentecost. He's talking about fulfillment. 
The people were ready. God had brought them. He had brought them all into one place. He had brought them together because the fulfillment had come. The second thing was this. Pentecost was a feast of celebration. It was, a, it was a feast of celebration and thanksgiving for God's provision. Often they would bring, they would bring a sacrifice and they would sacrifice that during the, the time of Pentecost for, for the thankfulness and for the, the praise and worship of the, the provision that God had given during that year. They came before in a place of absolute adoration of him. Absolute thankfulness. God, it's all about you because of how good you are. It's, it's, it's so amazing. That's the second reason why we know they weren't sitting in that place in a woe is me, what do we do now? Because it was Pentecost. They would have been worshipping him. Even if it was for the, the provision of the year before, for the crops and the things that they had received, they were worshipping him to say, Jesus, you are so good for everything you've brought to us. You are so amazing for all that you've done. We're going to worship you because this is the feast of which we thank you for who you are and for your provision. God bring them all together for the time of, for, for, sorry, for the time of fulfillment. And they came together in a thankful, with a thankful heart thanksgiving and praise and worship to him for who he is, for the provision that was what was to come. And guess what? God poured out provision on them. He absolutely lavished them with the most incredible provision we can ever see this side of eternity. He gave them everything in the Holy Spirit. He gave them the complete fullness in their thankfulness for provision. He poured out on them and said, this is all you're ever going to need, me, in you and on you. Acts 2, 2-4, we see the room filled with the sound of a rushing wind that fills the area. I've heard so many different, different things and, and some phenomenal different experiences, but I think the interesting part in the verse was that the sound was what drew those under heaven to the meeting place. The sound of the rushing wind filled the room in such a way that people came just to see what it could have been. Those gathered, it says there, everyone under heaven gathered. Every nation, every person from every nation. Sorry, let me rephrase that. One person at least from every nation had gathered, says under heaven. That's a phenomenal thing to think. We're all in that place to hear this sound and go, I've got to go and at least see what it is. I've got to go and at least put my eyes to what this sound was. But what a phenomenal place to be in. Just imagine that for a second. We're sitting, worshipping, and a sound like a mighty rushing wind fills the room. The grid for that is, is insane to think about what that would have actually sounded like. I mean, you've been on the top of a, a, a mountain by the ocean when the wind is just rocking through. Or in a valley when the wind channels through the valley. And it's loud. It's almost frightening. Imagine that in a small room like this. Filling the room. But then they get this, this almost scarier picture of fire filling the room. It says that there was divided tongues of fire. 
divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. That word divided is not talking about God being divided with himself. The King James uh, Version uses the word cloven, and it means to split or divide. And it's highlighting the fact that every one of them received of the fire that came into the room, that there was an individual um, tongue of fire that fell upon each person. That's what that word divided is depicting. Not that it was the room filled and they, that there was an individual tongue of fire given upon each person. The reason that's so important is because God has given you a, a gift and an understanding of who he is that is subject to you, that is for you. I love that he doesn't, doesn't draw a picture that the whole room was filled with fire and it comes down, but there is an absolute individual giving of the fire, that the Spirit comes in such a way. It was phenomenal to watch Louis get baptized because he came out of the water and we went to put our hands on him and pray for him and he just dropped to his knees and he was just weeping. And as we prayed for him, we prayed and, and he, we finished praying and we all went about being at the beach and Louis dragged himself over to the sand and just laid in the sand, just crying. And I, we tried to talk to him a couple of times and he couldn't say anything. I've seen other guys get baptized and come out and there's this joy where they just want to run and tell everybody and high five everyone. And, and there's this, this joy like I can't contain what's inside me. God moves in us differently. He's created us to be who we've been created to be. And I love that this picture that when the Holy Spirit falls, there is this amazing understanding of, I don't know what that looks like in you. And I can't make it look like what it looks like in me. I cannot help it, but I cry my eyes out. I've said to God, I've said this multiple times, give me something else. Give me fall on the floor. Give me, you know, give me something else. But that's what he's put inside me. I was at home the other day just reading the Bible, sitting in my living room, sweating bullets because it was hot as could be, just crying as I'm like turning the pages. And I have no, I didn't feel this, I just, I just was pulling my eyes out. And I'm just turning pages like, God, what, what, what is happening? Like, let me just fall over and go into this a vision. or No, I'm there and I'm like gripped by the love of the Father. As I'm reading a verse that was not about love, I was reading Jeremiah, I think, and it was a brutal verse, and I'm just sitting there weeping. But God moves on us in that way, and I think that this picture here, that the, where the fire, where it falls, it falls in a way that is, is, is God moving in each one of us individually. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. On each one of them. And, and they were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit rests on them and it fills them. So I've preached on this before that, that we see the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, move both in and on. I've had people ask, well, if, if God is in us, if the Holy Spirit is in us, why do we sing songs asking him to come and fall on us? Because they're different things. There's an in that flows out and through, but there's an on that's the power of God. And in the upper room, they received both. 
There's so many other places where I could go and show you that there's the in and on of the Holy Spirit. But I don't want to get bogged down there. I just I want to express that it's right here, that in that room, they received the inner salvation of the Holy Spirit, the joining with God, the union where you're hidden away with him in heavenly places. They also received the falling on, the power of God, the power that allowed them to step into the gifts, stepped into who he is and what he's done. We have to understand that there is a difference there. That when we say, God, Holy Spirit, come and move on us, we're saying, give us that glory and power. Allow us to see who you are. Bring us that power that you have. Never negating the fact that we have him in us and flowing through us. That actually makes the on much easier. He's not a far off distant God that's out there, but he's actually in us. And when we say, God, give us the power, fall on us, fall fresh and new on us. The tongues, the utterance. Spend many, spent many a day in this verse with people. And I've come to this. I, I believe here that, that what this is speaking of is a tongue that is a different language. Earthly language. That doesn't mean that God doesn't reveal a language that's a heavenly language. We see that clearly. Paul talks about that. But this, I think what this is explaining here, as we'll see later in the letter, and I'll explain, is that that there was a language given which allowed them to be back into unity together. That there was a language that given a sign and a wonder that allowed them to see that God was moving. We see, we see Paul in Corinthians give clear outlinings, but you have to remember there's not just tongues and not tongues. In my research of the scriptures, I found five different versions of tongues, different elements of tongues that operate within the scriptures. We have to understand of which is being talked about and when, but Paul says... For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no, un- no one understands him. He utters mysteries in the Spirit. I don't think that was the tongue that was given at Pentecost. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more so to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets. Paul, again, is speaking about the mysteries in the Spirit, that tongue. And I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Again, he's speaking of the mysteries. So that verse in Corinthians is talking about the tongue, the private tongue between you and God that reveals mysteries in the spirit, that bypasses your flesh, your mind and emotions and reveals your spirit to God, which is a mystery in heaven. But what's happening here, what's happening in this scene is that God is revealing two things. One, he's revealing that there is, is a power that all those who were gathered from the sound of the rushing wind came together. But he's also revealing the bringing back of the unity of the people of God, which was taken back in the Old Testament. There was one language that was given. There was a communication amongst the people that was given. And what the people did with that was they took it upon themselves to build something that, that praised themselves. And they built a tower called Babel. They built this tower to reach the heavens and they used knowledge that they shouldn't have been playing with, but they used the language to communicate. And God came down and said, you will not have this anymore. And he took it from them and he scattered the nations and they spoke different languages. Until this moment, we do not see the ability for the nations to communicate under one language. And God comes back and he says, right, Now that I've shown you who I am, now that I've given you the right way, here's a language back that communicates together with me. And the people take the language, and look what it says there. 
we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They took the language and they said, God, you've given us this language that allows us to to communicate and this is what we want to do with it. We want to worship you. We want to tell you how good you are. We want to give you the praise and the honor and the glory because you are worthy. So what he took in in the Old Testament because they were using to build up themselves, he gave back in the New Testament as a tool to worship him and to glorify him in the greatness. What was taken then was restored back, but it was restored under Jesus. It was restored in him and who he is, that that the use of this gift is used to glorify God. If you are asking yourself, if you're praying in a a personal tongue, or if you're praying in 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 a tongue that you believe to be a language or someone's interpreting, ask yourself, is this glorifying God? And if it's not, stop it. And if it is, don't let anybody tell you to stop it. It's been incredible the way tongues has come up for me in the last six to 12 months. With people saying that you shouldn't be doing that. I sat at home after a conversation with somebody who said to me that it was wrong and that I was glorifying the devil and a whole lot of other things. And I, and I went home, I said, God, I'm going to listen for a moment to this person. I'm going to ask you. So I sat in silence and without me doing anything, my mouth started to pray in tongues. And I went, you know what, God, I'm trying to glorify you and you are giving me this thing. I've spoken tongues. I've never not spoken in tongues my whole life. As a kid, I grew up remembering speaking in tongues, not quite knowing what I was doing. No one ever laid hands on me. I didn't fall over. I didn't, I didn't just one day start speaking one word and then a hundred words. I've always been able to do it. And I went home and I said, God, if this is wrong, then I need you to show me because I'm seeing it in your scriptures that it's not. And I felt God move and I've seen it in the scriptures. No one will convince me that this is not who God's made me to be. But the moment I I, I go to speak in tongues because I think we need to move ourselves out of a out of a particular part of the service or I feel like I need to um, wow somebody, instantly I'm in the wrong place because now I'm using my gift, I'm using this thing God's given me to glorify myself, not to glorify him. Anytime we get to a place with any gift to glorify ourselves or move beyond what God's given us that for, we've entered into a place that we shouldn't be. Tongues are incredibly important. And in this verse, they are a sign and a wonder that brought the people together. They are the gift that God used to express his power amongst the people that were brought in by his rushing wind and the sound. God uses signs and wonders to bring people in, to hear, to have them hear of his goodness, to see who he is. It's not, it's not, well, if your church doesn't have signs and wonders, you, you're not honoring God. No, that's not what it is. And, and the charismatic church needs to stop that. That's, that's not what God's saying. Signs and wonders are used by God to give the people an understanding of just who he is. They're brought in in order to express him, to point to him, to show him. They are incredible. They are amazing. And yes, as this house, we long to see more and more of God's power like that. But again, the power is used to express him, 
to show him, to, 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 to point back to him, to express this is who God is. That's why, we, why that stuff is important and is shown. But it's interesting, and, and I want to touch on this because I, I think this is in, incredibly rife at the moment where we are. But the, the very last verse of this, verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But the others mockingly said, They are filled with a new wine. When God moves, there's going to be three types of people. Those who believe it, believe who he is. They see it. They understand to an extent what's happening, that it's God moving. There'll be those who don't know, like this verse shows and says, what does all this mean? That's the harvest field. What does all this mean? Ripe, ready to hear of what these things are. But there will always also be those who mock what's happening. The scoffers, those who say, this cannot be God. This cannot be who, who I find God to be. I've put God in this position, in this box, and you've drawn something out of that, therefore it's not God. This is incredibly important for us to understand because I, I want to say, say this, that when God starts to move and the power of him starts to break out and demons start coming out and people start getting healed and it's messy and, and someone's exercising a demon over here while someone's on their knees crying over here, that we look and go, God, is this you? That individually, each one of us go back and say, God, I saw something there today. I saw something in my work today and I just want to know if it's you. The moment we become a people who go, nope, that's not God. Nope, that can't be God. We enter into the same place the Pharisees were in. See, Jesus operated outside of the box of which the Pharisees drew him to be. And they couldn't handle when he said, that's not who I am. I'm going to finish that, but that's not who I am. They couldn't handle that. It broke down. It, it, it got lost for them. And they said, well, we're going to take him out because we can't, can't quite explain. That's happening in the church today. We can't quite explain what this guy, who he is and what he's doing. God's moving him in ways that I can't quite explain. Therefore, it's not God. But in the same breath, we have to have discernment to understand, is that pointing glory to God or not? And if not, then I'm not going to be a part of that thing. Because there is charlatans in the body. There is wolves amongst us as sheep. There is those things happening and we need the discernment to say, God, what is of you and what isn't? But we also need to be slow to judge and to judge only from here. I was talking with someone and um, a TV, uh, a televangelist came on the TV. Day, I'm not sure how, it was daytime TV. It was in the morning. It was like an ad or something. And um, this person said, He's, uh, he's a false prophet. That's not of God. That man is actually operating for the, from the devil. And I knew the, the televangelist. He's a controversial guy. But I don't have enough information to make that assessment. I don't have enough to say whether... I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy's heart. And I just said, hey, um, how, how do you know that? And he said, well, look, look at what he's doing. It's all fake. I said, yeah, but you don't know that guy well enough 
to know whether it is. You don't know his heart. You don't know whether it is or it isn't. He's using the scriptures. All you can do is go, okay, he said this from this verse. I'm going to go there and see what that verse tells me. But you don't get to decide whether he is or he isn't. And I said, I said to him, which was quite controversial, and I left quickly short after, but I said, you need to be careful because if he is a son of the Most High God, if you're wrong, if you're wrong, my goodness, I don't want that weight. I don't want to be caught calling a son of God, even if he is in a little bit of error, not of God and not his son, because that's a scary place. We need to be slow. We need to act in discernment, but we need to make sure we're not, we're not a scoffer or a mocker or something. My wife made that sign on the back of the church, thing, church wall that says they're all... They're just drunk on new wine. And she built this thing and, and she said, babe, I want to put this in the church. And I won't lie to you, I was very hesitant in the beginning. And it sat in the garage for about two months. And she said, I want to put it up. I said, okay, but why are we putting it up? What's the point of it? And she, she said to me, and I was like, I'm, I'm in the wrong here. You, you, you are right. She said, people are going to scoff at who we are. People are going to laugh at who we are. But I will not shift on who God's made us to be. And if they have to remember that that's not the right thing, that they're not drunk on you either, they actually are of God, then we'll put a sign on the back. And I was like, done. We'll put it up tomorrow. And we did. We put it up. The enemy's going to say that that's just wine, that they're drunk, that they're insane, they've lost the plot. But if we keep going back to the scriptures, if we keep coming to the front on our knees saying, God, what are you doing? Who are you? What is this? We will be right where he needs us to be. We will have oil in our lamp. We will be a people ready to say, God, we don't know what it's going to look like because you haven't done it this way yet. So come and do whatever it is you're going to do. But God is moving in this nation. God is moving amongst us. I don't want us to keep looking like something's coming, something's coming, something's coming. We are in it right now. One of my biggest problems with uh, the prophetic in, in how we see it in such a big way is that, and Brad and I were talking about this because he follows a few guys that I don't follow, that every day they're putting up something new, putting up something new, and there's always a hope for something. Something's coming, something's coming, something's coming. When? Is it coming? It's been coming for two years now. Three years, five years. What I want us to say is it is here now. God is willing. He's holding the cup to pour the fresh wine. He's waiting for the hearts of us, the people, to have a new skin to carry what it is he's going to pour. But I want to just end with this before we go back into worship. The disciples didn't, we don't see that, that they did any special prayer. We don't see that they did anything particular in order for the Spirit to fall. They went with a thankful heart. They went with this in mind, God, you were good. We've just seen Jesus ascend. We've heard everything he says. We have no idea what the next step is. We have no idea what's coming. But we're just going to go and we're going to worship you because you are good. That was the position of their hearts. That was what they did. They didn't 
they didn't... Um, there wasn't a, a, a particular method that they came and, and got a part of. It wasn't like they had a certain looking venue with certain lights or certain type of music or certain gifted person or certain this or certain that. They came as a people with thankful hearts ready to worship who he is. That's all they did. So when we look at this next phase of what God's doing, when we're standing right in it now and saying, God, we're willing, the position we take and all we have to do to usher in his presence is to stand as a people and with a true heart, with true, honest uh, uh, seriousness and, and reality is to worship him for who he is. That's how we usher in the Holy Spirit. That's how we usher in the move of God. There's no certain things we have to say. There's no certain um, standing, sitting, kneeling. Can you join play? There's no standing, sitting, kneeling that we have to do. All we have to do as a people is come, be thankful, worship Him in spirit and in truth with all that we are. Does that make sense? I want to, over the next few weeks, I'm going to spend more time in, in, in Acts and just going through the simplicity of the church. That the church really is so simple. That all through Acts, we never ever see the people cease worshipping him. We never see the people stopping saying how good he is. Stopping honouring him and worshipping him and glorifying him. Stop, they never stop allowing him to move. Praying for people. Praying from a position of God is so good. You've already done this. You are who you said that you are. That as a people, that's the position we take. So why don't you stand and we're just going to, Tim's just going to lead us back into a little bit of worship. And I just want us to respond to this. I just want us to respond with thankfulness. That if it's not what you thought it was going to look like, if it's, if, if things aren't turning out already the way that you thought they were going to turn out, just worship Him. Just glorify Him. If, if things are already pretty rocky or things are amazing, if things are really incredible and you're going, well, I don't know where that came from, but I know God's doing something. This is amazing. Worship Him. Glorify Him. Take the position that the Israelites took when Jesus left. God, we're going to worship you. We're going to count it all joy. So Jesus, we just come to you right now. God, I thank you for those testimonies. Father, I thank you that you never, ever left Bruce and Sylvia, that you walked with them the whole way. Holy Spirit, that you were there as comforter, that you were there to stand with them. Father, I thank you that you are continually calling Louis, continually stepping into who he is, allowing him to see the goodness that you have. Father, I thank you that this nation is beginning to see who you are, that this nation is beginning to see that you are the only thing to stand on that people who have never prayed for and been praying in their life have begun to pray. 
because they have nothing else left and they go, the only thing we have and we don't even know if that's really there is Jesus. But people were beginning to reach out. I pray that there are are believers who know you around those people to lead them into all truth. I pray that there's churches in those cities that are strong and can band together to show who you are in that place. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you allow us to come and just worship you and glorify your name because you are so good, Lord. You are so good, God. Be worshipped here this morning. Be glorified here this morning, O Lord, because you are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, God.